0: All right everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Annalise Show. I am your host Annalise Garcia. We have a fantastic show for you guys today. Today we have a returning guest, Taylor Hudak. She is a journalist and an editor for Activism Munich and she is also the media director for Panquake which we've had her on to talk about before. Taylor, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here today. Yeah, thank you, I'm so happy to be back. I'm, I'm so excited to have you here because um, today we're gonna to be talking about whistleblowers, which I think is very appropriate right now considering the fact that the Biden administration is still trying to extradite Assange. We still haven't pardoned Edward Snowden. And on top of that, we're seeing all of this censorship uh, throughout, you know, social media and content platforms. And so I think right now is, is a really good time to, to be talking about this as much as possible. Um, so so that we can see if we can get some traction going and, and get some people to realize what's going on. Um, so, so I guess the first thing I want to jump right into it, the first thing I want to ask you about is can you tell us a little bit about your history? How did you become a journalist? What led you to be interested in these things?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I uh, originally went to school. I was studying English and I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do with that exactly, but I was studying English and then um, 2016 happened, of course, and I think it really shaped everybody's perspective of the world of politics and especially of media. So I was inspired to become involved in media and journalism at around that time. So I decided to go to grad school and I studied journalism in grad school. And I was a little bit naive at this point, to be honest, I thought I would be able to speak honestly about issues that I cared about. um, Things like, uh, you know, stopping these endless wars in the Middle East and stopping these illegal overthrows of government in Latin America, I thought I'd be able to uh, speak about the importance of uh, free speech and the free press. And it was very early on, I would say that I realized that that was not the case. And that if you are going to have a job in the mainstream corporate media, you cannot talk honestly about issues that really challenge the authority and challenge the uh, powerful entities in the United States and throughout the world. So I became interested in Assange's case because I was always interested in law and in media law. And I came across, I always, of course, knew what WikiLeaks was. Um, I was familiar with who Assange was, of course, but I didn't know the specific details really about um, his whole history because I was quite young at the time that WikiLeaks um, was at its prime back in 2010 and 2012-ish, that era. Uh, just a little bit too young to really understand exactly the revelations that WikiLeaks had provided to the world. So uh, when I was a little bit older, I could fully appreciate it. And then I looked into his case further and I saw that he was being treated so terribly. He was being seriously targeted by not just one or two governments, but by four different governments. That includes the US, UK, Sweden, and Ecuador. And again, this was back in um, around 2017 and while he was still in the Ecuadorian embassy. And so I went on to a podcast called An Bites Back. Uh, this was after I was doing some reporting on the case at a very small uh, media outlet in Ohio. And um, at that time, I got connected with a friend of mine, Andrew Smith, who was with Action for Assange. And I was working closely with Action for Assange. We had vigils for Assange, which are still going on to this day. And then I was with them very actively for about a year and then I decided to focus more on my own journalism and I started working with Activism Munich. I'm approaching literally I think it's a year this month that I've been with Activism Munich and doing journalism with them and covering Assange's case and just free speech has been an important issue to me my entire life really and politics was always an interest to me and so I became really invested in this case and was really, really concerned as what was, as what was happening to Julian Assange and the fact that mainstream media figures were not covering this case as much as they should at the time or as accurately as they should. It really inspired me to step up and, and to report on this case. And I have so ever since. Yeah.
0: I mean, his case is insane. There's, there are clips of American reporters being embarrassed by foreign leaders because the American reporters are trying to ask those leaders about like, oh, you know, um, censorship of the press in your country. And the the guy literally, you know, looked at her and was like, I don't think that you guys are in any position to talk about free press with what you're doing to Julian Assange. And I was like, oh my God, Like, you know what I'm saying? It's so embarrassing that even other world leaders are like, you guys, being hypocrites and have
1: no room to talk about anything. It's it- so true. The United States has no position whatsoever to be criticizing China, Russia, Iran, or any other foreign quote-unquote adversary for their human rights abuses. While there are human rights abuses that take place in other parts in the world, of course, and those are condemned, and they sh- that should not be happening. We ignore what happens here at home. We ignore what happens in the West, and it's absurd that we have the nerve, or not we, but many of these Western journalists have the nerve to point out the flaws in other countries when we are doing some real damage here at home.
0: Oh, yeah. And you know, this is a little bit of a, of a left field thing. And we'll get back to Assange in a sec. Mm-hmm. But you know, something that I always talk about that I feel kind of ties into what we're saying right now is Cuba, because I, I was born in Cuba. Oh, uh, And we have the embargo in Cuba. And I always say that it is such a hypocrisy because we can, we can sell arms and be buddies with Saudi Arabia who killed one of our journalists, Jamal Khashoggi, but somehow Cuba and who's, 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 and those weapons that we're selling them are just aiding a genocide in Yemen, but somehow Cuba's a problem. Like I'm not saying we have to agree with the Cuban government, but the truth is the embargo isn't hurting the Cuban government. It's hurting the Cuban people. And it's just so hypocritical the way we treat Cuba when we're willing to work with countries like Saudi Arabia.
1: Exactly. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I was actually just interviewing uh, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who worked with the Bush administration. He was a, uh, the former chief of staff to then Secretary of State Colin Powell. So he's had a change of heart since uh, since his time with the Bush administration, a massive change of heart where he has been condemning U.S. intervention in other parts of the world. And um, we were talking about the the war in Yemen, and he is just appalled by the fact that the United States continues to be involved in this conflict. And, of course, we did see just a month ago President Biden come out and say that we would be no longer supporting those um, those conflicts in in Yemen, but really he did use some misleading language there. He said that we would stop offensive, uh, stop helping with offensive uh, military tactics, but still be helping the Saudis with defensive tactics, which can be skewed to mean just about anything. So essentially our involvement, I believe in Yemen is probably not going to um, end with what he had said earlier, I think last month, but um, we really need to look at our foreign policy and it needs some serious reform.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And that's one of the things that, and maybe because I'm an immigrant, you know, but for me, like, foreign policy is something that I'm constantly thinking about and it's not talked about nearly enough. Um, so, so, yeah, I think that's super important. So so let me, let, me, let me ask you about Assange specifically, getting back to our original topic. Um, a lot, it seems to me when I talk to the general public that a lot of people, a lot more people know Snowden's story than Assange's story, right? So maybe because you know the, the thing with Snowden has been going on longer, so people have had more time. Um, but for those who kind of know the name Julian Assange and like kind of vaguely know what happened, as, as a, a journalist who's been following his story for a long time, Could you give our audience um, just like a general idea of what happened with Julian Assange? What is his story?
1: Yeah, so Julian Assange, of course, created WikiLeaks, which WikiLeaks, one thing that isn't talked about enough when we talk about Assange and media is the fact that WikiLeaks shaped the way that we view media. It actually shapes has shaped the way that other media organizations Engage in their practice of journalism from the simple fact of how they uh, obtain information with the Dropbox WikiLeaks was unique at the time and, and it still is to this day But especially at the time because it had a, a an anonymous Dropbox where whistleblowers could provide Documentation that exposed wrongdoing or corruption and they could provide it to WikiLeaks anonymously And it was a great tool to not only provide the public with access to truthful information, but also a way to protect whistleblowers. So Julian Assange set up WikiLeaks. He actually has a tech background. He is a computer genius really uh, turned journalist. And so he used his technical abilities to help advance journalism. So he's actually contributed to journalism in extraordinary ways. And we see that with the numerous a journalism awards that he won, and is continuing to win. So, for anybody who thinks he's not a journalist, he sure has won many journalism awards for not being a journalist. <laughs> but he exposed Julian Assange and the other staff at WikiLeaks exposed serious war crimes perpetrated by the U.S. government in Iraq and in Afghanistan. One of the most famous publications to come out of WikiLeaks is, of course, a Collateral Murder video and. The Iraq war logs and Afghan war logs. And that is what Julian Assange is charged under um, for violating the US Espionage Act for obtaining and publishing this information. So essentially, what this is is that this is a backlash against Julian Assange. This is a punishment against him for exposing and embarrassing. The corruption or mm-hmm. exposing and embarrassing the US empire and exposing our corruption and it's a selective prosecution and actually I interviewed. Um, the current editor in chief of WikiLeaks Christian reference twice the most recent time um, both times are in London, but the most recent time was back in September, and he told me that this is a selective prosecution and a political persecution because. It wasn't just WikiLeaks that it published this information. It was also the New York Times, the Guardian, Der Spiegel, which is a German publication oh, as well. Wow. However, it I is only really being target, targeted. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So that that's like,
0: uh, I don't know if you follow status quo, but Jordan Sheridan had his, his content taken down, but they allowed that same video to be played by CNN. And that's kind of what that sounds like to me.
1: Exactly. It's, it's similar because what's happening is, is it's important for people to note that they're coming for Assange right now, but they're also going to be coming for other journalists too. And it's not initially going to be the mainstream journalists. It's going to be independent journalists who they're going to target and come for. And they're doing it already, not to the extent of which they're going after Assange, but that will be the future if we don't stop these court proceedings from happening. But um, you're right, there is a different set of standards for the corporate media and the independent media in the eyes of the U.S. empire. And there's been efforts, of course, to attack, sabotage the independent media. Wow. So so right now, he is
0: being held in, in a prison, in a jail in England. Is that right?
1: That is correct. So there were extradition proceedings I covered. They were broken up into two segments. There was a a first week that took place back in February of 2020, and then the second half, which was the substantive evidentiary hearing, took place for about four weeks in London. Again, this was in September and a little bit of October, and I covered both times. I've been following this closely, and what happened was, is on January 4th, after the proceedings were done, the judge was given like several weeks to make her decision to either grant the extradition or deny the extradition. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking that she was going to grant the extradition. That's what I was assuming because I, that's just what I assumed. And I think many other people were feeling the same way that I did. I didn't believe that she was going to extradite him on all counts because he's charged with 18 counts. Mm -hmm. I thought she would extradite him on some, but not all of them, which she can do. She denied his extradition request. And I'll get to why he's still in prison right now, because he really should be free at this time, but he is still in prison. She denied the extradition request on January 4th. I was actually sitting uh, right here, right where I'm sitting right now. (laughs) And I remember I was watching the hearing virtually. I was watching it and the judge denied the extradition request. And I remember I sat there and I was live tweeting this whole thing. And I didn't even tweet right away. I go, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Did I just hear this correctly? Did I really just hear that? I'll never forget that moment. I'm like, did I really just hear this? And I was ecstatic. And um, it was true. She did deny the extradition request. Now, there is also, while we are very happy that this is a personal win for Julian Assange, it still is not a win for journalism as a whole, because what happened was is that the judge agreed with the prosecution's arguments on all other claims. The reason she denied the extradition request was based on the fact that the US prison system was oppressive and that it would put Assange at a risk of committing suicide. Um, He does have depression, History of depression. And so that combined with the poor US prison system, the judge felt that if she were to extradite him, it would be oppressive and he would be at risk of taking his own life. That's the only reason why she did not allow him to be extradited. So if somebody were to come along just like Assange, but maybe didn't have the same depression or mental health issues that he has, they Mm. would probably be extradited. So while this is a victory for him personally, it is not a victory for journalism as a whole, but we, of course, still welcome this decision. Now you're probably wondering, okay, well, he's still in prison. Why is he still in prison? Well, what happened was is that the U.S. lost the appeal, or not lost the appeal. They Well, I hope they do lose the appeal if it goes through, but the U.S. lost this first phase of this extradition proceeding, Mm -hmm. and now they are allowed to appeal the decision, and they have. Um, They have appealed the judge's decision. So the defense has until March 29th to submit their response. Assange could throughout this time, Assange could be free at home with his fiance and his two young boys. The judge denied him being released on bail for bogus reasons that he is a, a flight risk, which doesn't make any sense. And I could get into that if you would like me to, but she is keeping him in prison and it's it's very cruel that he is still in this prison. He's not just in any prison in the UK. He's in the worst prison in the UK. It's called Belmarsh Prison, and it's also referred to as the U- UK's Guantanamo Bay. So in a week from tomorrow, yeah. in, the, in a week from tomorrow, we'll learn a little bit more of what's going to happen because that's when the defense is their deadline to submit their response to the U.S. prosecution's appeal documents.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I first I I would love for you to get into why he's not a flight risk, because people need to be more informed about this stuff. And then also, could you touch on the CIA smears that have been put out about him and why those are not credible?
1: Well, with anybody who challenges the authority and challenges the establishment, what happens to them is that they are going to be targeted. They are going to be smeared. We saw this not on a grand scale, but you saw it happen with even Jimmy Dore, for example, not yeah. on the scale of Julian Assange, but you saw it happen with okay. him by other people in the independent media where he was uh, called out for his so called tone uh, asking for uh, Medicare uh, for all. He was, you know, being accused of being too angry, too whatever. So this happens to anybody who's challenging the establishment and the establishment norms assange of course was a victim of this as well and it happens to many people and the truth is is that while there has been an effective smear campaign against assange for many many years it is just that a smear campaign and to be clear we are not just a small minority of people who support Julian Assange. Every single major civil liberties group in the world is supporting his release, his immediate release, in fact, and is supporting for the U.S. to drop these charges.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think, I mean, maybe I'm just looking at it in a in a very dire way, but to me, this seems like he is, he is being set as an example. He's telling us this is what can happen. They're telling us this is what can happen to you. Because think about this, this guy is not just a regular Joe off the street. He had power. He was the founder of WikiLeaks. So he was somebody who is, you know, more well known than the average person. And look at what they're doing to him. And so to me, that's like, like a, a silent threat that they're putting out there, which is if this is what we can do to him, imagine what we can do to you and it'll take years and people will clamor for your release, but nobody will be able to help you. So you better be quiet. And to me, it just seems like they're trying to silence us by showing us Julian Assange as an example of what they can do.
1: Exactly. They want to make an example of Assange. They want to, not only make journalists fearful of reporting on national security issues and the corruption of world's governments and the corruption of U.S. foreign policy and all its serious uh, flaws, but they also want to scare whistleblowers too because whistleblowers are so necessary for our access to truthful information and we treat whistleblowers terribly. And so what... case does is it it puts pressure on whistleblowers because then not only are they fearful of if I speak up about this wrongdoing I'm not only going to possibly lose my family I'm going to be put in prison I'm going to lose my job I'm going to lose everything I worked hard for but I also could be getting uh, could also be putting this journalist at risk just for providing them this information so what this Assange president could do is that it literally could make it a crime for a journalist to just obtain national security state information. You didn't even ask for it. Well, I mean, as a journalist, I think it's pretty much just uh, known that you want to have uh, this information and publish it, of course, but that will be a crime. So it puts the pressure on journalists, whistleblowers, and it's to send a message to people and journalists throughout the entire world. If you expose wrongdoing by the very powerful, you too will be imprisoned, you will be smeared, and your life will be ruined.
0: Yeah, it's... I'm not gonna lie, it's scary, <laughs> you know what it I mean? Is. That's a very scary thought. And that's why I think it's so important that we, especially coming from a country like Cuba, where there was censorship of the press, you know? <laughs> I, I, I I, think it's really important to fight for freedom of the press. If you can't have a dissenting press, then everything, we already have so much propaganda. We don't want everything to be propaganda. We have to do something to stop that. Um, so then um, moving uh, from Assange to Snowden. So most people know the story of Snowden. Um, you know, It's much more well-known, there was a movie about it.
1: <laughs> um,
0: yeah. You know, documentaries. And essentially he made Americans aware that the Patriot Act was being abused to spy on all of us without our knowledge or consent. Um, and for that, he was charged with treason. He was lucky enough to be able to eventually uh, uh, find asylum in Russia, so he's not currently in prison, thank goodness. But the Biden administration is still trying to extradite him. Um, so, can you touch just a little bit on on Snowden and kind of you know what you what you see going on with that and and what the future of that you think looks like? like? Do you think he will ever? Be pardoned? Do you think he's going to stay in Russia? Do you think, I mean, I mean what do you think is going to happen with that?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, first and foremost, Edward Snowden is a hero. He did a tremendous public service uh, and did the such a selfless act by making this material public. And um, I just want to say that if it wasn't for his disclosures, there is so much that we would not be aware of. I mean, while we would probably be able to infer that we are being spied upon because the technical capabilities are there, we wouldn't have documented um, evidence to prove that. And I think anybody who would try to argue that would be viewed by many establishment hacks as kind of a, a nutty person. So first and foremost, he's a hero. You're correct, he is in uh, Russia, right, Russia right now. Um, I While he's not in prison, that's fantastic. I seriously doubt that his life is easy, but he is in Russia right now. Um, Another thing, and I know we're moving on from uh, Assange here, but a lot of people that maybe aren't following this, the whistleblower community too closely, one interesting fact is that it's actually Julian Assange, WikiLeaks, and specifically WikiLeaks staff member Sarah Harrison, who was the reason that Snowden is not in a U.S. prison right now. Snowden reached out to WikiLeaks for help. They helped him get him to Russia. Now, initially, they did not want to go to Russia. The plan was to go to a country in Latin America. However, the Obama administration decided to cancel his passport, ironically, in the place where he was most physically safest. They were on their way to somewhere in Latin America, but they were in Russia at the time that Obama canceled his passport and Sarah Harrison, another uh, heroic individual, I would say, she helped him secure his freedom in in Russia and she stayed with him in an airport escaping the authorities for, I want to say it was like a month, Mm -hmm. and she could not even return, she's a UK citizen, she could not even return home to her home country for several years. Her location is unknown at this time, but for a while it was uh, it was public that she was in Germany. She could not go back to the UK because of their strict terrorist, anti-terrorism laws. And I'm using air quotes right now. I know you can't see me, but <laughs> I'm using air quotes right now because it's, it's really not about terrorism, these laws, of course. But um, she was not able to return home. So she sacrificed so much to get him to safety. And he wrote a book, permanent record where he thanked her extensively for that. So that's another thing I just want to point out that WikiLeaks not only provides us with information that's in the public interest, but it also protects our most vulnerable and targeted whistleblowers. So Snowden is, as you said, right now in Russia. I'm not sure what will happen in his case. Of course, I would like to see him I don't think that he should probably ever come back to the United States, to be quite honest, even if he feels that the administration is friendly. I don't think he would be safe here, to be honest. I really don't. So I don't think that I don't know what he's thinking, of course, but I I doubt that he he thinks that he'll be safe in the U.S. In fact, um, one thing that he did say, and I think that your audience would be interested to hear this. Mm -hmm. Um, I work for a German organization. So the majority of my audience is uh, European, but of course, Snowden is American. And um, our founder of Activism Munich, Zen Raza, interviewed Snowden. He was one of the first people in Europe to do so, or in Germany to do so, interviewed Snowden. And if you watch that interview, Snowden said something that really says a lot about his character and why he made the decision that he did. And he said to the audience at this event, he said, we cannot depend on elected leaders to solve our problems. They never will. It depends on me. It depends on you, the person next to you, the person in front of you behind you. It depends on us on the ground to really initiate some of some positive change. We can't depend on the establishment people in power to really make a difference. And, um, I think that really speaks to who he is as a person and why he made the very selfless decision that he did.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so true. It's like you, if you want change, you need to make it happen because the government is never going to hand us anything ever. It's, it's just insane. The way that we treat these people and you know, that kind of goes into, I think it's interesting that you say that he will never be safe in the U S because that's like such a sad and scary thought, and you're probably right. And that's that's sad, you know, because he's had to leave everything behind. Um, and and I imagine that if for some reason in the future Julian Assange is finally able to get out of prison, he probably should never come back here either, which is unfortunate because this is their home, and they've been kicked out of it simply for doing their job and helping Americans learn the truth. So it's absolutely shameful. And so um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was right now, the way that our government treats whistleblowers is just unacceptable um, and cruel, and it just shows their corruption. So if we were to build a future where we could give whistleblowers, the proper treatment, what would that future look like? What kind of protections do you think that we would need to put in place? What kind of things would we need to do to ensure that this doesn't happen again?
1: Right. That's a really interesting question. There are so many different, maybe not so many different schools of thought on this, but I've heard numerous interpretations. I'm not sure I have the answers to this, but one thing we need to do is that we need to, I, well, first of all, let me go back to this. I've seen people like Tulsi Gabbard advocate for the ability for whistleblowers to provide a public interest defense when they are charged with the espionage act. That to me is not while I think the intentions are good there, that is not sufficient for me because we shouldn't even be charging these people with espionage to begin with. It should not be a crime. It should not at all be a crime to speak out about the truth and the wrongdoing that's going on within these corrupt entities, be it the intelligence community or major corporations. So it that doesn't even go far enough for me. So if it, it decriminalization of speaking out, probably to get rid of the Espionage Act. I may I know that may sound dramatic, but it it's outdated piece of legislation. And I think we could do away with it. So I think that would be a good start. Get rid of the Espionage Act. And these whistleblowers are are faced with losing everything and that's oftentimes what happens and that would probably be the best the best way forward
0: yeah i I totally agree because we we use these laws as excuses to crush dissent and to punish independent journalists that are putting the truth out there so it's it's absolutely crazy and you know how much do you think that your interest in all of this? Because you are also uh, the media director for Panquake, which is, you know, a new social uh, media platform that's coming soon that is going to be placed on blockchain. You're not going to take any corporate money or any business money. You're not going to have ads. You're not going to censor people, you know, and so I can't help but think that your interest in, you know, the freedom of speech of of journalists and stuff like that somehow leaked into other areas of your life. And maybe that's why you were interested in Panquake. So can you talk a little bit about how social media goes hand in hand with promoting freedom of speech, even for independent journalists?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So first of all, um, Panquake is, I I spoke with you about this earlier. I don't know um, if somebody who's watching now perhaps have missed it. Go watch that episode. Not right now, but after. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was a lot of fun too. But yeah, uh, Panquake is a new next generation short messaging service. Um, To learn more about it, go to panquake.com. But we're seeking to solve the problems and we'll solve the problems that we experience with social media right now. The problem we have with our structure is that Big tech is very much embedded with the U.S. government and also the intelligence community. And they not only censor speech and dissenting voices, but they are also interfering on people's ability to communicate with their friends, their family members. It really causes real world harm because they interfere in our relationships. People have You know, been unfollowed from their friends, and it causes, you know, a a problem in real life. And then also, too, with YouTube, we have demonetization of people who are speaking honestly about the US military industrial complex, people who are speaking honestly about Assange's case, people who are speaking about the pandemic and the COVID 19. Crisis in the government's response to that. Anything that is goes contradictory to what is the established, accepted narrative in the mainstream, you will be targeted and silenced. They're doing it through demonetization right now, and so um, this, of course, is hitting the independent media very harshly. And so, of course, that's something that is also a a very important thing to me is the ability to be able to speak freely and openly and have meaningful discussions without interference from the establishment. And Julian Assange actually said something that always stuck with me. He said that censorship reveals fear. Mm. They're not going to be censoring people and shutting them down and demonetizing them if they aren't fearful of what's to come as a result of what they're reporting on or what they're speaking about. And the fear is not like, oh, something illegal is going to happen. That's rarely what it is about. It is about people rising up and advocating for a real change and that real change happening. So it's it's something that's very important. And for people that wanna learn more about an alternative to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, visit panquake.com.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I donated to Panquake. You guys should as well. They are creating something amazing over there. We deserve choices. And it's like, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons I'm so excited for Panquake is because there's already enough bullshit to deal with with social media without also having to worry about being censored, being unfollowed from people you follow. Like, you know, like there's already so much toxicity within social media, which I think is something that I think is going to change over the next decade or two, because people are already thinking that we need a more positive way to go about this. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's just crazy online and, and it can already, it can already be so stressful. Like You know, I've had people smear me left and right and just say racist things. And, you know, people want to tell you what you should and shouldn't do and who you should and shouldn't interact with. Like people trying to tell me who I can or cannot block. That's like, that's like you walking down the sidewalk and a stranger coming up to you and telling you that you have to talk to them. Like what? (laughs) Like in no situation would this be acceptable. But somehow when, when people are online,
1: I don't know what happens that, Mm -hmm. they forget they're not your boss. (laughs) Yeah. Some, yeah. Something happens when you're online. I think it's a mixture of the fact that you are a degree separated. It's not face-to-face communication. It's not even really odd, like verbal communication. It's online. There's a barrier there. So people feel a little bit more free. And then also too, I think it's maybe a clash of Personalities, but I think it goes much deeper than that as well. I think I, I've seen there's been clashes with an independent media, and I just, while I, I'm, my independent media is rare, is not American based. It's very much European based. Mm-hmm. My audience is all German audience, British audience. Um, we don't have my in Europe. We don't have as many independent media figures. It's not as Uh, saturated like it is in the US. So it's a totally different dynamic. But I've seen in the US, there's a lot more opportunity to not opportunity, but there's a lot more independent media going on. And, and sometimes people are are hard on each other. And I think we're, we're better off uplifting each other. And it's okay to also have a difference of opinions, even if you are in independent media, not everybody's going to think the same and have one viewpoint. Why would we want that anyway? Exactly,
0: and it's like you gotta stand for your principles no matter what. There, there have been people that have straight up smeared me that had shows, and I mean they were literally saying the opposite of the policy that I believe. And yet, when they got uh, when they got demonetized, I said these people need to be reinstated because this is this is bullshit. So for me, you know, I feel like as long as I'm sticking to my principles and not just letting them wave based on who I like or don't like. I think that helps me get through my day and helps me real feel like okay I, I'm doing the best that I can to to kind of swim through this crazy mm-hmm. online
1: world <laughs> yeah
0: And so with all that craziness it is such a relief to hear that something like Panquake is coming because it is really going to remove all of the unnecessary, because when you're dealing with people, you're gonna have the necessary stress because people stress each other out. But Mm -hmm. you don't need the extra unnecessary stress of why did I just get unfollowed from an account I was following? Why am I not getting any interaction on this? Why is there an ad every two posts? Like That is just unnecessary. And I feel like Panquake is really gonna give us the opportunity to be able to move past that and kind of evolve to the next the next level of what social media should be. And so I just wanna tell everybody again, go to panquake.com because we need alternatives. Um, so I guess the the last thing uh, I wanna do Taylor is kind of give you the floor, any last thoughts that you wanna share on a, with us um, and then tell people how they can find you.
1: Okay, yeah, thank you. I always enjoy, um... I enjoyed our conversation last time. I was so happy to be here and talk to your audience. <laughs> it's Sanja's case. And here's something that I uh, want to relay to anybody who is in the public eye for the, I guess not really public eye, but sort of, I mean, you know, you're an independent media figure. We're all really um, in the public sphere. One thing that someone, uh, a message that they gave to me that always stuck with me and I'm I'm happy to share it and I wanna share it is she told me, she said, you know, you're gonna get smears. You're going to get people that don't like you. At the end of the day, you will always be judged by the quality of your work. And that is just a good thing to focus on. Um, It was one of the best pieces of advice best pieces of advice I've ever received. But um, to go back uh, to Assange, of course, something I I follow closely. um, This is a great time for an interview because a week from tomorrow, as I said, on March 29th, the defense has is their deadline to submit their argument to the courts. And then after that point, the high court will then decide if they go and appeal this case. Mm -hmm. Here's what can happen. So here's what's the future of the Assange case. If the high court, and this is coming directly from Julian Assange's fiance, Stella Morris. I'm actually reading from her her statement that Mm -hmm. she made. She said, if the high court is not satisfied with the US grounds for appeal, Julian Assange will be able to come home. If on the other hand, the high court agrees to hear the appeal, then that hearing is expected to take place in a few months. And that would be an appeal hearing. If the high court goes ahead with the appeal, the losing party could then appeal to the Supreme Court and or the European Court of Human Rights. And then that process could take several years. So that is what we're looking at for the future of the Assange case. And what I want to say to everybody listening right now, if you're not a journalist, if you're not an activist, you may be wondering, well, I guess his case, You know, while I I feel bad for the guy or I'm for free speech and free press, this really doesn't impact me. I'm not reporting on state secrets and national security. Well, this case does impact you and I'll tell you why. Julian's fate and the results of his case will impact everybody because it impacts our right to know. And it prevents us to have access to truthful information and to know what our governments are up to in our name. If it wasn't for Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning who leaked this information, we probably wouldn't have the specific evidence and information of what happened in the Iraq war as it relates to the collateral murder video yes. and how many people and innocent civilians and children were killed during these wars. So this case impacts everybody. Support Assange. I'm going to be, if you can make it on Tuesday, March 23rd at 6:30 p.m. GMT. That is 1:30, I believe. 1:30. Um on 1:30 Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, I will be speaking at a DEA campaign event. No, it's not the Drug Enforcement Agency. This is a—that's what I think of when I hear it. It's not that. It's yeah. "Don't Extradite Assange" campaign. This is a UK-based um, campaign. Again, it's DEA campaign. I'll be speaking at an event with several other people that I think you guys would love to hear from. So, if you can attend that, please do. And also, DEA campaign. Um is a great place to get information on the Assange case. I cover it frequently myself. Um, I am on YouTube at Activism Munich. It's spelled Act TVism Munich. Subscribe to our channel, catch our stuff. We report on the Assange case, of course. We report on also Craig Murray's case. That's also something if I can for a minute touch on that. Um Craig sure Murray because I'm not familiar with that name. Okay. Craig Murray. Um, I reported on his case as well, so go check out that playlist on Activism Munich. Craig Murray is a former UK ambassador to Uzbekistan. He is a whistleblower. He is a writer and historian. He has his own blog. He is a fantastic writer and a very kind uh, individual. I don't know him um, very personally, but my brief interactions with him, he is a an extremely kind person, and I could tell by his actions and his whistleblowing that he is selfless and has done tremendous public service for us all. He had a one day hearing uh, in Scotland for his, he was charged with contempt of court for his reporting on a case that happened in Scotland, and I'm, I'm simplifying this case so much. Again, for more information, check it out on the playlist. But basically, this is another free speech, free press case. He is facing two years in prison for reporting mm-hmm. and for the content on his blog posts. It'll, this will set a very serious precedent for journalism. Craig is also a friend of Julian Assange and an advocate of Julian Assange and speaks very well um, about his case and um, I would subscribe to his blog 100%. Go subscribe to his blog. Go follow him on Twitter at Craig Murray. Or he needs so much support, and I would love to see more people supporting him. Um, so please do if you can, because this is another very serious free speech case, and it also too is an attack on somebody who's been a very, who's been a very, very effective speaker and advocate in favor of Julian Assange and of WikiLeaks. So I think that there is undoubtedly a correlation between his support for Assange and WikiLeaks and his being targeted um, and facing two years in prison. And he also has a new young son at home. So he really needs um, our support. And I'm sure that the threat of facing two years in prison is very scary as it would be for any of us. It's been two months already and there is still no verdict in this case. So he's waiting every single day waiting just to hear, am I gonna face two years in prison? That's how serious this is. So if you guys can support him, that would be fantastic. Thank you for letting me speak about that as well, Annalise. <laughs> um, I wanna thank you for having me on. And again, you guys can find my work at Act tv Munich, Activism Munich on YouTube. Thank you so much.
0: Taylor, thank you so, so much for coming on today and educating us. I'm definitely gonna invite you back on soon to get some more updates on these cases. The work that you're doing is so important, um, not only with your journalism, of course, but also with Panquake. So thank you so, so much for coming on and educating us today. I learned a lot. I definitely know my audience learned a lot. We all learn together. And being educated is how we can move forward and fix these problems. So everybody, this has been the latest episode of the Annalise Show. I am your host, Annalise Garcia please like share and subscribe. It's totally free and the best way to help the show grow. If you are able to donate, I have links down below and we will see you guys next time. Taylor, thanks so much. We'll have you back
1: on soon. Thank you.